buying and selling real estate, it can be a tough business to navigate. Sounds like you need some friends in the know. For instance, two longtime Twin Ports real estate professionals who know the ins and outs of the market. This is the Twin Ports Real Estate Show on 610 and FM 103.9 KDAM. Hey, good afternoon and welcome to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show. Jim Ronning and Gary Callagher here from Remax Results every Saturday from 12 to 1 on KDAL 610 AM on your dial. Gary, good afternoon. How are you today? Well, we're doing good, Jim. Happy New Year. I hope uh, everybody's had a good New Year and uh, uh, settling in for what we hope is going to be a great year. 2021, we've said goodbye to 2020 and uh, even though 2020, Jim, in terms of real estate, and I think this goes for across the country for the most part, unbelievable year, banner yeah. year. Uh, you know, who could have predicted, you know, when, you know, a year ago when, when the COVID thing was starting to rear its ugly head, not quite at this time last year yet, but as we got into late February, early March, and then what happened after that, who could have predicted what the real estate, not only locally here, but across the country, how it rebounded. And what we're hearing is some of the record-setting numbers that occurred in 2020. Who could have imagined that when we got into this pandemic last year? Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, last spring, when this pandemic was really starting to rear its ugly head, um, yeah, I didn't I didn't know what was going to happen, and uh, I suppose nobody did. But it, it was surprising to me that it was uh, strong from the first place, but not only that, but, uh, but record-strong. So... Yes. Yeah. And and one of the things that we did last, it was around the end of March. I mean, one of these reports came out uh, and it, it affected housing and they were talking about how long it's going to take to recover to to recovery. And what are some of the signs that that we're going to see that show that that housing is on the road to recovery? And one of the bullet points in that story was that the. Um, 10-year yield on these uh, treasury bonds, the bonds that the government sells to do, you know, uh, improvement projects and people invest in, right. that that rate was going to have to get up to the 1% mark. And what would happen is is when that happens, that is kind of the, the gauge or the measure of, of what mortgage interest rates are going to do, what car loans are going to do, and, and you know, equipment and those types of things. And that rate hovered under 1% all of last year. And I mean, it got down to the just above a half a percent. I mean, that was really the lowest I saw it go was probably in the 0.6 somewhere in there. But Jim, this week, that uh, 10-year yield percentage took off. And earlier this week, I think the highest I saw this week so far was 1.14%. And right. so it's 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 past the one percent mark that the economists uh, or that the, the people were predicting that it needed to get to to stabilize the housing market. But <laughs> the housing market was was way more than stable. It was a record pace. So why why it didn't go up as we got into the latter half of the year and why now? But I will say this: the fact that that ten uh, year yield is going up is actually a good sign. And it's actually a good sign for our economy. And so uh, I think that's a good thing. However, 
uh, it's not, you know, for people that have been buying houses the last year, year and a half with these, these historically low mortgage interest rates, those rates are going to start to go up. And as long as that that percentage number goes keeps going up, our mortgage interest rates will continue to go up. And they did bump up a little bit this week. They're still not bad. They're still under 3%. Uh, 30 years conventional fixed was at 2.750 right, right. as, of, as of, of earlier this week. Uh, but the, the 15 and 20 year notes are still good. I, I think the, the 15 year note is at 2.125. So phenomenal, but have we seen the end to the low interest rates? Possibly, yes. I don't know what you think, but uh, uh, yeah, that I mean, was surprising it's, that it's it happened a possibility. so quickly. I'm, I'm looking at that, at that 10 year um, um, rate that you were talking about, the treasury rate, and, and it looks like it's, um, <clears throat> you know, it's been very low, um, 0.6, yeah, right, and it's been it's been kind of steadily rising, and it really peaked, I think, um, or really started to go up after the election. It looks like to me, um, and um, now it's it's it actually fell a little bit yesterday, according to what I'm looking at. But uh, it's very interesting, and yeah, I think maybe it's the end of. Uh, of the rates as we kind of know them, and uh, let's hope, like we've always hoped, that if they go up a little bit again and then, and you know, um, eventually they're going to get up a little bit higher. But it's got to be eventually. If we have spikes in these things, that's really going to affect the uh, real estate economy. I'm pretty sure. What are your thoughts? Well, I think one of the things I've noticed, and one of the things that's also coming out in the news, is that word inflation. And so it is, are we going to be in an inflation, in inflationary time, uh, you know, short-term, long-term, whatever the case may be, but you certainly gas has gone up, boy, almost 35 cents a gallon here yeah. since, you know, uh, not too long ago. And uh, so you got that. Uh, have you been shopping for food recently? Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, the cost of food is just like it's it's soaring. And, and, and so uh, – Inflation. Uh, one of the other things, Jim, I noticed too, and I drove through a fast food drive-through the other day, and I hadn't been through a fast food drive-through in forever. My my son said, "Hey, can you stop here?" And I said, "Yeah, all right." And so I bought him a meal. This was a burger and some fries and a drink, and it was almost fourteen dollars. Yep. Did and you, I, you, yeah. I was like, "My gosh, I don't believe that this has gone." That this stuff has taken off. I don't remember the last time I went through a drive-through restaurant. But well, you so know what's happened since the pandemic. It, it, that those prices have gone way up. Um, so if you wanted to go for lunch, you know, before the pandemic, and like go have a, a burger somewhere at one of your local restaurants, to go to a drive-through is is at least the same price now. You know, which used to be, um, you know, three dollars cheaper, let's say, than than you know your average your average cafe or your average sports bar or something. So yeah, that that kind of that thing is is gone crazy. I'll give you I'll give you an example of how you know that the you know things still haven't gotten back together in uh, say the meat packing plants. Um, is is uh, I wanted a little. Something that I haven't had in a long time when I was in the grocery store yesterday, and that was a can of Spam. Uh, none to be found. Not not any of any kind on any of the shelves. So, I mean... No Spam anywhere? Not, not... Well, see, I'm down in Florida right now, and, and not in any of the um, 
grocery stores down here, I haven't seen it. I thought, ah, by now they must have restocked and nope, all totally gone. So, and there are many other things that the shelves are bare on. Um, you know, it's just, it's just kind of strange. So, well, I'm telling you, if there's no spam available, what's mayhem? this coming to? Yeah, right? Dogs and cats <laughs> living together, pure mayhem, you know, that's, as they used to say. All right, here's a strange one. Um, I got a text from another agent in our office um, up there, and there was, there was showing instructions or, or a response when somebody wanted to show a property after Saturday, and they said, we don't have any offers yet. But we expect to, and all offers are due by, you know, Saturday afternoon. Um, so we're not taking any showings for after Saturday. What do you think of that? Well, I think uh, that's that's certainly a, a trend that's been going on in our market time. What was saying? Property. You can't. You can only have a showing up until Saturday. You can't have one after Saturday. We don't have any offers yet. However, we're going to be looking at all of our offers um, on Saturday. Now, now, my question would be: What if nobody makes one? <laughs> well, who, what was the, what was the reason behind that strategy to begin with? I, I don't it, crazy. It doesn't make any sense to me. So, you know, an agent goes to set up a showing on Sunday, and they say, "No, you can't show it. We don't have any offers yet, but <laughs> but um, we 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 are going to be closing the books on this house on Saturday after we get offers." It's like, well. So you were showing this house? No, no, no. Are you what? No. An, another agent in the office wanted to set up a showing, and this is how I believe it happened. And let's say it was Sunday or Monday, and they said, we're not going to have any more showings after this Saturday. And when the question came up, why? They said, well, we don't have any offers yet, but, but you know, we're going to shut it off on Saturday and present all the offers that we will get. <laughs> and how long had this home been on the market? I I have no idea. I just thought that that was crazy, and um, people are. Um, I mean, it's it's a great market. Don't get me wrong. There's houses are still selling, um, even in the middle of winter and stuff. And and that's that's. I mean, we saw this last year too. But that's kind of crazy thinking, in my opinion. Because I agree with you. I agree with you. I don't. That one is is a little bit out there. Yeah. So her point to me when she was texting me was, she says, "I just it's just so crazy." How people are thinking, including including some of the agents around here, and uh, I mean, I get it. I, I think if you get an offer in, then you can say, well, you know, a lot of sellers like to say, well, I want to see if I can get another offer. So let's say that we want all offers in by Saturday, and you know, I would say to them, well, we could we could certainly do that or deal with this one, and these buyers just might say, well, I'm not going to wait for you to use me as bait and be gone. So I mean. There's a lot of advice I think that sellers are getting out there that might be incorrect or, you know, just because the seller says this is what I want to do that you can't, you know, point out, you know, what the obvious issues are with whatever strategy you're thinking, if there is an issue. So I'm just saying, you know, we're there to advise and to um, assist um, people in making wise decisions and sometimes sometimes they have some some different opinions that we kind of have to talk them out of maybe well you're you're 100 percent right i don't know how much time we have left in this segment but um 
this is an interesting conversation, and this is an yep. interesting dynamic that's <clears throat> gone on in our marketplace for the last couple of years. Well, good thing you uh, brought that up. We are on a we are on a break right now, so folks, you're tuned into the Twin Ports Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show. Jim Ronnie, Gary Callagher here from Remax Results. Uh, Saturday from 12 to 1. Um, if you want to reach me, folks, my telephone number is 218-348-7653. And Gary, why don't you give out your phone number? 218-390-0615. All right, so we're, we're talking about... Um, the real estate market being kind of crazy, and, and Gary, we haven't even talked about political craziness, um, but, geez, Louise. Well, this is uh, a real estate show, and... Uh, I know it, but, yeah, it, it's <laughs> the amazing. The amount of time we can spend on politics is staggering, and... Uh, no, uh, yeah, but and we're it, not going to go there, I think, because if people are like me, it's like, man, I would just, I just, I've heard it all, I think, but... Well, I will say this. This is unlike anything, and I don't know about you, but this is unlike anything I've ever seen in my lifetime when it comes to to our, our national uh, politics. And uh, I don't know what to think, quite frankly. Well, I thought we had seen probably the biggest political... Um, well, yeah, I mean, the, these last four years have been very unusual. But I thought when, when Clinton was going through his troubles, I thought, well, we'll never see that again. And, uh, yeah, this pales, you know, that pales by comparison, I think. Um, but, you know, who knows what kind of impact that will have on the local and, and national real estate market when this all shakes out. Well, our whole economy, Jim. And, I mean, in jobs exactly. and everything. I mean, you you know, we've got the new uh, uh, minimum wage, which is a good thing for people. I'm really happy to see that. But I think, like, you know, I go back to driving to the restaurant. My first thought was like, "Wow, this is probably be, has something to do with the, the the hike in the minimum wage," and 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 that's fine. I think people need that type of stuff, uh, you know, for just a standard of living. And fifteen dollars an hour, quite frankly, is it's a decent wage, but it's still in today's world, it's still not a lot of money. And and so I'm I'm those types of things. What it's going to mean for us? I mean, if you if <laughs> If you give somebody an increase in wage, but you raise all the prices to compensate for them, what's the net result? I mean, is it still the same money-wise? Because you got to pay more for you know the cost of goods and and living your life. So yeah. you know you got those types of things. But well, I think the, the uh, food impact is is huge. Uh, the the cost of of buying the raw goods is good. You know, is is, is highly increased because of. You know, the pandemic did have a huge impact on, you know, the meat industry. Um, and, and here it is, right? Well, yeah, but and I think for people that are wondering, when it comes to real estate and finances and, and all that type of stuff, one of the things that you can do if you're just if, if you're curious about it is when people get qualified for mortgages, Jim, our, our lenders have formulas that they use for people. And one of the formulas, a couple of the formulas that they use is they say you can take anywhere from 28 to 29% of your gross income and use it towards a housing payment. Right. You know, so you take your gross income and you, you uh, uh, figure out what 29% of that is and you can see what your monthly house payment should be. They also have what they call debt to income ratios. And they say that on a conventional type note, 30 to say 33% of your 
gross income should go, you can use towards paying your long-term debt. Right. Uh, car payments, um, credit card payments, those types of things. Um, uh, FHA, I think, is a little higher. I think they'll go, they'll do debt to income ratios up to 50% of your gross income. So you start adding those up and you, you know, look at what your gross income is. Um, it doesn't take long for it to get whittled down to, to not a lot, you know, especially if you're making $15 an hour. So uh, as the cost of everything goes up, um, the, um, you know, what's the net effect of, of, a, of, a, of a minimum wage increase? And I think it's going to be minimal if, if inflation takes off. Oh, so do I. I, I heard that they were talking about the minimum wage rate um, in, in, it was another state, I can't think of what state it was, but they were going to raise it significantly, but to start off, they were going to raise it six cents an hour this year. And I thought, well, <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't really impact anything. But what you, I want to go back to what you were talking about earlier when you were talking about the, the, the ratios in order to afford a house. I, I, I think it behooves us to, to bring up that, you know, if your ultimate goal out there, you know, if you're struggling, but you, you ultimately you want to get you want to get a house and, and you can make it work. Don't buy that car. You know, um, you've got to you got to save your ratios for your house. And if that's your ultimate goal, you know, you got to really be and, and, and you're in that that income level where it's kind of hard to afford housing in today's world. You know, you, you really got to keep your budget in mind, even though that new car or whatever might be um, something that you're thinking about. It's it's definitely something that's going to throw you back in time as far as uh, getting that house. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, We've you know, all seen you that. Start, yeah. well, you know, and I know with my kids, one of the things I've always taught my kids is like, save your money. If, if, you know, don't go out and, and, um, spend money that you don't have. And what I mean by that, if you go buy a car, you're pre-spending your money for several years for several years if you take a, a, a four or five year car loan out. And that's a long time. You don't realize how long that stuff is, Jim. And life changes and it changes sometimes quickly. In five years, it's a long time and a lot can happen in well, five you, years. Let's yeah. say you get married. Let's say you have kids. Let's say, uh, you know, you want to do whatever. If you've got a three, four, five, six, seven hundred dollar a month car payment, um, <laughs> that's that reduces your buying power substantially. Right. And so if, if once you get your first job and I know my daughter just got graduated from college, my youngest daughter, and she just got her first job. And I think she's thinking this. And I said, just save your money for a while. Just stash it away. Your car will last you another couple of years and don't go out and, 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 you know, get, use your emotions of, I finally got a job. I'm making good money. And, uh, I want to start spending it now, and uh, hopefully she listens. <laughs> but, well, and, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people that we meet and um, that are that are now ready to buy a house, and let's say that they're 30 years old, 28 years old, 25, whatever it is. But a lot of them have been through the I don't want you call it the credit cycle, where yeah, they they graduated from college, they got a good job. They've got good credit. They got credit cards, and you know it doesn't take long before those debt balances get up there. And then you go to try to buy a house, and you can't buy what you want. So they concentrate on getting that debt reduced in order to move up to buy what they want. And 
that was a frustrating point in their life and a hard lesson learned. I mean, I've heard these stories many times. So yeah, you, your, your advice is, is well given. Let's just, you know, you just hope they listen. Well, you know, I think one of the things that we've seen over the last few years in the real estate market is people, younger people buying houses. Right. Oh, yeah. And I've seen it to the point now where it's like, you know, when I first got into real estate, you know, this is going back 30 years, it was extremely rare for me to see somebody under 25 buying a house. Extremely rare. Now you're seeing kids, in some cases, Jim, they're under 20. And mom and dad are flipping the bills for some of these things. They're signing them, they're getting them in the house. And why is that? What's the reasoning behind that? I mean, is is real estate a good long-term investment for somebody? Yeah. That's the reason. Is it a good long-term investment for everybody? Well, I think it depends on the situation. I mean, uh, if you have a, a kind of a volatile job where you, you know we don't, we're not even seeing transfers as much as we used to. But I mean, that was the time when it would be tough. Somebody'd buy a house, they'd live here for you know a year, and then they they their job would cause them to have to transfer. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good investment as long as you can let it sit for a while. Um, well, but the other thing you have to remember if you're going to buy a house, and I do think houses long-term are great investments for people. Right. But you have to take care of them. And stuff happens. And you have to have a little bit of, like, ability to understand that. And I'm going to equate this to an investor that wants to get into uh, multifamily housing. They want to start buying properties, you know, to generate rental income. <clears throat> that, And these are people that have never done it. And they get in, and then somebody doesn't pay rent. Right. And then they don't pay rent again. And you've got to go start collecting rent, and you've got to face people. You've got to confront people. Some people can't do that. Right. Some people don't want to do that. Their 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 comfort level with like confronting people, especially for money, um, and and having to potentially be in a uncomfortable situation, they can't deal with that. So if you have if you're going to invest in something, I think you have to have a certain level of understanding that, hey, I'm going to be responsible to take care of this. What if my hot water heater goes? You know, and I mean, think of this stuff before you buy it. What what's the cost of a, to have a hot water heater replaced nowadays? Yeah, there's it, it, yeah. it's expensive. I mean, it can be a thousand dollars easy. Oh, sure. If you're going to hire somebody to do it, uh, what if the roof goes? You know, what if? Um, uh, the toilet backs up. What if the sewer line backs up? What if whatever happens? I mean, there could be any number of things that happen. What if if we have a storm and a tree falls on your house? And I think you have to, when we as real estate agents, Jim, we have to educate people that are coming into this marketplace <clears throat> that are young, that just see dollar signs in front of them. You have to educate them. You have to start to train them on how and what it means to buy a house and right. you can't just buy a house and go in and live in it and exist in its utopia. It's not that way. Uh, so, uh, I do think these buying a house is when you're young is a, is a great long-term investment, but I also think it comes with a, a set of responsibilities that you have to have. Well, and I think that, you know, some of these, some of the buyers that we've worked with, that I've worked with over the years, they, they have a uh, down payment assistance. And part of that down payment assistance is the requirement 
to have um, you know education about houses you know and and what to expect or things that you might not have thought of and there are so many good tips and pointers that they put out there and people learn about a house before they ever own one because there's a lot to know and there's a lot that you and I for example owning houses for so many years we take it for granted but we forget maybe sometimes that that the younger generation the people that are just starting out they don't know all those things um, so yeah that those kind of programs are great but there's also a lot of resources online that a, that a buyer can can learn about houses and um, you know hey we have to go through continuing education every single year for both states so I mean th- there's a lot to know well there is um, and I think one of the nicest things people have said to me over the years and you know people get emotional when they're buying a house it's an emotional process and sometimes we have to back them out we have to talk them out of buying a house and right. i've had many people come up to me after the fact of, of talking them out of buying a house and just say hey thanks for doing that you know i wasn't thinking about those things and, and that type of stuff so houses are are interesting they're 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 it's very rewarding but having a little bit of insight to what it's all about, that's where we come in to help you. Right, exactly. All right, well, Gary, um, we've got a couple more minutes left in this segment, so if we want to start some stats, we probably should do it now so we have enough time. Well, I want to give a little insight, a snapshot of what the the local current market is. Uh, And this is on the uh, blue side of the bridge. It's the surrounding area. This goes all the way down to Esco, Cloquet, Carlton, up to Two Harbors, Cotton, uh, that whole area. Last year in 2020, Jim, the whole market as a whole sold 2,189 homes. And again, this is the information that we give you is from our local MLS, right? The Lassar MLS system. This th- we don't have all the data, but we have most of it. Um, and the average sale price ended up being. Uh, $249,000 for those 2,189 homes. And for that many homes to be sold and that to be the average sale price, uh, that's that's a good market. Yeah. Locally here, that's, that's a stable market, Jim. And so uh, when you look at the median price, and that's the middle, you know, all houses equally above and, and below the one that's in the middle, that's 218.5. So a little difference between the, uh, the median and the average sale price, but uh, overall a very strong real estate market in the twin ports. Uh, well, I'm like I said, on the Duluth side of the bridge uh, in 2020, we currently have 160 active listings and the active uh, listings have an average price of three hundred and forty-four thousand dollars. Now, when you say that, you have, when you say Duluth, are you talking Duluth proper now, or are you talking about, you know? No, I'm talking about our our collective right. I got uh, Market in all the municipalities that that we deal with on the Duluth side of the bridge. Right. Um, and so, but and so, there's 160 active listings. Duluth currently has 61 listings. And they have an average sale price, Jim, an actual average list price of four hundred and twenty-nine thousand dollars. What does that tell you? Yeah, I mean it, it's crazy. And you know, looking across the bridge in Superior, there's twenty-eight active listings. I mean, it tells you that the inventory is way down and prices are up. So, um, how are we doing on time? 
Um, let's see where we're at. We have, um, well, we got about a minute and a half here. Okay. Well, um, as far as the, the real estate stats go, we've, we've got our annual stats coming up here. I don't want to get into them too heavy here until we get uh, into the next segment. But, uh, I think you're going to see here when we get into them, we broke down all the neighborhoods. So we've got the neighborhoods and, and, uh, the number of units that they sold, what the average sale price is and how it compared to last year when they sold right. and so um uh interesting to see what the numbers are in the actual units that have sold jim i was kind of surprised to see some of the activity and then we have our annual competition between the lakeside neighborhood and the denfeld neighborhood and um you know who's going to win that for the the number of units sold and uh, okay. uh historically it's been lakeside but uh, uh interesting numbers that that uh, we're going to have here and, and uh, what all these neighborhoods did in 2020 well, let's take our break right here, and then we'll come back and we'll go through that in, uh, in fast fashion in order to get it in the last two segments. So, folks, you're tuned into the Twin, Sor- Twin Ports Real Estate Show, and we will be right back. Hey, folks, welcome back to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show. Jim Ronning and Gary Callagher. Gary, give us your phone number again real quick. 218-390-0615. And my number is 218-348-7653. All right, Gary, in uh, fast fashion, go through um, the stats on the uh, Minnesota side of the bridge. And if we have enough time, we'll get to the Wisconsin side of the stats. But if we don't, folks, we'll get into them next week. Okay, here we go. We're going to break down all the neighborhoods that run across the city of Duluth here. Um, Area, this is the Fond du Lac. This is far west. Uh, Fond du Lac, Gary, New Duluth, those areas. They sold 31 uh, units last year. Uh, with an average sale price of $134,000. Uh, last year, in 2019, they sold 32 houses with an average sale price of 125. So units basically stayed the same, but the average sale price uh, went down out, out in Gary, New Duluth. Right. Uh, we've got this, the Smithville Riverside area. They sold 12 homes. Average sale price is 173. Um, Last year in 2019, uh, they sold nine houses out in Smithville, Riverside area. Average sale price of 121. So average sale price is up out there. Uh, units are up a little bit as well. And that's, Denfeld, that's the I think that's the, the the area out west is to watch because of all the development that we see is going to be happening there. So all right, number next. Yeah, that's going to be interesting next year for sure. Um, here we go, Denfeld uh, Denfeld area. They sold 156 homes, Jeff. Right. With an average sale price of 149, last year 2019 they sold 110 homes with an average sale price of 147. So the average price stayed pretty much the same, but the units exploded. Yeah, it did. Um, Lincoln Park area sold 63 homes in 2020, average sale price of 133. Uh, in 2019 they sold 72 houses with an average sale price of 113. So average sale prices up in Lincoln. Units are down a little bit. Piedmont sold 90 homes. Average sale price in Piedmont of $236,000. Compared to uh, 2019, they sold 88 homes with an average sale price of 218000 So average sale prices, as you can see here, they're going up. Units are pretty much staying the same, but the prices have gone up. Uh, downtown, we sold uh, 19 homes with an average sale price of $252,000. Uh, compare that with 11 houses sold in 2019 downtown with an average sale price of 177. Huge price difference in that downtown market. Right. Duluth, Duluth Heights sold 111 homes last year. 
average sale price of $255,000. The year before in 2019, they sold 105 homes with uh, average sale price of $228,000. Our East Hillside market sold 58 homes in 2020 with an average sale price of $145,000. And in 2019, they sold 80 houses with an average sale price of $130,000. So the units were down there in East Hillside, but the prices were up. Observation Hill, 22 homes sold this year in that market. Average sale price of 215 compared with 23 houses sold in 2019 with an average sale price of 183. So you're seeing the trend here. Units are same, prices are up. Right. Kenwood, 88 homes sold in 2020, average sale price of 264 compared with 2019 with 94 homes sold with an average sale price of $233,000. Um, Park Point, 26 homes sold. It's a good year for Party Point when they sell 26 homes. That's a great year. Yeah, it is. Average sale price of 392000 You compare it with 2019 when 20 homes sold, but the average sale price is 433 So there's a market where the average sale price went down. And um, Hey, Gary, do we, I mean, are we even paying attention to days on market in the last few years? <laughs> well, I have all the days on market, but uh, I know. But I'm saying so, is it's not that much of an impact as it was because things are no. selling so fast. No, I mean it's it's rare to have uh, a, a, a neighborhood that has houses days on the market on average over 30 days. Right, and Fair. year over year, when we first started doing this show, the average days on market might have been 60 to 80 days. I mean, up to 100. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was staggering, the the difference. Uh, Okay, the Chester Park neighborhood sold 42 homes. uh, Average sale price, 236. And uh, in 2019, they sold 25 homes with an average sale price of 232,000. Congdon sold 89 homes with an average sale price of uh, 386,000 compared to 2019, where they sold 87 houses with an average sale price of 355. Hunters Park sold 51 houses. Average sale price was 277. That's up a little bit from 2019, where they sold 45 houses, and this average sale price of 268. Uh, Lakeside, here we go. 201 houses sold right. last year. Wow. I mean, it's just staggering. I don't know if they've ever sold 200 houses in one year. Average sale price of 251 thousand dollars. Um, you compare that to 2019, where they only sold 170 houses with an average sale price of 255. Woodland sold 80 houses last year with an average sale price of 241. Uh, they sold 87 houses in 2019 with an average sale price of 218. Uh, and then Hermantown, 135 homes sold with an average sale price of $359,000. 2019, they sold 108 houses with an average sale price of 316. So that Hermantown market has gone up, it's gone up nicely. Here's another market that's doing quite nicely is Proctor. 89 houses sold in 2020, average sale price at 204. Uh, you look at the 2019 statistics of 108 houses sold uh, with an average sale price of 189. Um, so that's a good market. Cloquet, here's, a, here's, a, here's our biggest unit sale market. Cloquet sold 236 houses in 2020, Jim. Average sale price, I'm going to call it 200,000. What was last year? 228 houses sold, average sale price of 179. Yeah. And then we got ESCO. Uh, average uh, number of units sold in ESCO in 2020 was 49. The average sale price of 324,000. And you compare that to 2019, where they sold a few more houses, 52 houses, 
but the average sale price was 284. So, um, uh, and then our rural market, Jim, we have a rural market that is a, a very wide area of any place rural. Uh, they sold 244 houses with an average sale price of $323,000. And uh, compare that to um, 2019, where only 206 houses were sold with an average sale price of 309. And then lastly, two Habas. They sold 128 houses in 2020 with an average sale price of uh, $212,000. And the year before, they sold 115000 and the average sale price was almost identical. I'm both. I'm calling both of those years at two hundred and twelve thousand dollars. So, um, very big trend here, Jim, where you see the units are stable, but the prices have really gone up. Right. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Um, and I would say that what you're seeing is with these low interest rates, you're seeing a lot of people moving up, and it just it just flows and flows and flows. And uh, I, I I do believe that, you know. Out east um, in, in Hermantown and Proctor, you're seeing building that has been happening over the last, you know, how many ever years, uh, a lot of it. So you're going to see those unit increases go up um, year over year. Well, this year will be interesting because remember, how many people kept their home off the market because of the pandemic? Right. So the competition and the multiple offers were off the charts for a while last year. And it just really, really exploded on the average sale prices. Right. So we'll watch that and see how that average sale price does as we get into this year and and uh, it, what, the, what the trends are going to be. But right now, or for 2020 anyways, the trend was higher prices, uh, units are stable, and between the, uh, uh, the hunters and the uh, greyhounds, sorry hunters, but the greyhounds uh, kind of took it to you this year where they uh, outpaced you for a number of units sold. Uh, 201 to 156. So let's hope uh, Denfeld bounces back. Uh, but I will say this, Denfeld, if you're looking to be uh, a starter home entry level, you really can't compare the two markets. Denfeld is far and away uh, more value for buying a house uh, than the Lakeside neighborhood when you compare the average sale prices. Right. And I think Superior the same way. I mean, if you want, if you want affordability, it, it certainly is over there. So Let's let's look at Superior right now. So uh, last year, three hundred sixty-six homes sold. One hundred fifty thousand five hundred was the average sale price. And I will I will point this out. The average days on market was thirty-eight. Um, this year, three hundred seventy-one homes, so an increase of five, which isn't a lot, but a ten thousand dollar increase in average sale price up to one hundred sixty thousand six hundred. And the average days on market dropped to 24. So, um, and, and you know, Gary, I'd like to point out, I mean, with, with 60-some homes actively for sale in Duluth and 20-some homes actively for sale in Superior in January of 2021, as we sit right now, it's a total replay of the last, you know, four or five years, right, where the inventory is way down, um, and you know, it's just kind of churning in the background when houses are going to hit the market. And, uh, I, I, I personally see as long as interest rates don't spike that we're going to have the same thing where we're going to end up with multiple offers here in a couple of months on just everything that comes on the market. Practically. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think at some point the pendulum will swing, you know, where the inventories will increase, the markets will stabilize, uh, you know, and, prices will come down a little bit and, and and so but when that occurs i don't know we've been in this boom market for the last right 
you know, five, going on five, six, seven years now. And uh, I still think it's stable because we have all these, what they call millennials, buying properties now. And the, the oldest millennials are turning 40 this year. So right. we have a, a whole generation of these people coming up and they're buying houses and they're buying, they're great consumers. All right, and, hold your uh, thoughts there. We got to take our last break. So hang on. Folks, we're going to take our last break here. We'll be right back to wrap it up right after this, and we'll follow through on those thoughts, Gary. Hey, welcome back to the last segment of the Twin Forks Real Estate Show. Jim Ron and Gary Callagher here from REMAX Results. And I just, my comments on wrapping up the market here and, and where are we going, um, we were talking about, you know, kind of being in the same situation as we have been the last five, six years right now in January with this low inventory. So it's really, I mean, without that hiccup, we are certainly looking like we're going to head right back into the same kind of a market um, that we have had in the last few springs. And that is where prices are appreciating. You know, there's multiple offers and so on and so forth. So it's very interesting. Well, I agree with you. And I listen, I think I'm working with a half a dozen buyers right now that you know, we're looking last year and right. they could anything or the, the competition that they got into, they just didn't want to compete. That'd be, I mean, they weren't going to go paying these 10, 15, 20, $30,000 over the list price. They didn't want to do it. And they're starting to get a hold of me now and saying, Hey, we're, we're gearing up, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be ready to roll here. So they're hoping they're in the marketplace. So yes, I agree with you. I think this spring market, if everything stays, you know, cool with our economies and everything, I think it's going to be another block, you know, bang, bang. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be busy. All right. Well, good enough. All right. So you said you had a football real estate story and I want to hear this one. Tom Brady. Who's that? You hear that name? Who's Tom Brady? (laughs) Well, he played pretty good, didn't he? Giselle Bunchton. Yeah. I don't know if I said the last name right, but that's his wife. They just sold their luxury New York City apartment for... $37 $37 million. Wow. Did it say what they paid and, for it? Yes. They bought it um, not that long ago, in 2018, for $25 million. Jeez Louise. Just when your name can increase the value you know, of your house is crazy. But, but I, think about this, Jim. Think about yeah. this for a second. Uh, this is in an area, it's called the Tribeca area, and it's not far from the Freedom Tower, so it's in that Manhattan area. And with everything that the city of New York has gone through in the right. last year and all of the negative press on it, that somebody's going to go plop down $37 million for a condo in there, um, and that's uh, that's quite a percentage increase over the $25 million that these people bought it for. Right. So Tom and Giselle, well done. That must be a nice. $37 million, one heck of a view. I mean, I wonder how high up they are. And yeah, well done. It, says right. it, was, on the tw- it was on the 12th floor. And this oh. thing doesn't look like it's got a spectacular view. I mean, it really? looks, it's hard to tell where their unit was. But uh, it, this isn't an old area. These buildings are old. They're all retrofitted. These are old concrete type buildings. So, got a minute, Gary. Uh, I'm looking at this thinking, $37 million? Right. Oh. Like okay. I say, you know, you attach two famous people to that. The 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 fame of the of the real estate really has an impact. I mean, you know, when when one of Bob Dylan's places goes for sale, you know, in Duluth or Hibbing, I mean, it just makes the headlines. So 
they make their they make their own profits too in some ways. But that's crazy uh, considering that there's a lot of people leaving New York. Um, but hey, yeah. So it's stable. The real estate market seems to be stable there, and I think that's that can't be a bad. Yeah, thing. that's that's a good that's good. So. We'll still take the people who want to leave there and, and come and have four full seasons. <laughs> um, so we'll still take them in the Twin Ports. All right, Gary, we got to be out of here. Um, thanks for listening to the Twin Ports Real Estate Show, and we will be back next week. And have a great week, everybody. Bye.